Welcome, Grace Fellowship Church. It is so good to be with you in this way, in this format. And although we miss seeing everybody's beautiful faces all at one time, uh, this video has been such a blessing to so many people. Um, our home gatherings, um, people in their homes, uh, people across the country or in another state. Um, this has been just a wonderful way to continue to get the word out, to continue to worship together and be the church. Uh, we love you. And uh, I just wanted to say, yeah, we're thinking of you and praying for you all the time. Um, and so with that, today we're going to be talking about how big is your appetite for the kingdom. And don't worry if you're gluten-free, uh, we have all the options of the kingdom to be served for you today uh, through the word of God. Um, but let me take a moment and just pray for us as we get started. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we lift up our hands, uh, knowing that you are in full control of everything and that you have us here. Um, would you tune our hearts to your word? Uh, would you turn our eyes uh, to gaze upon your beauty and your wonder and what you'd have for us uh, during this time of worship and reading of the word and celebration and just even understanding the feast that is gonna be set before us uh, through the message. Lord Jesus, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
So today we'll be in John 6, looking at how Jesus is the bread of life. So read along with me. This is John 6, 25 through 40. When they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, the people asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous signs then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I have told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Grace family. So today we continue this new series on a follow-up to last series of the kingdom. We're looking at what fuels kingdom life. What do we draw on in order to live this life that Jesus invites us into. And last week we looked at the metaphor of the vine and the branches, that we need to remain connected to the vine. And we looked at Jesus' own example of how he just stayed connected to his Father and drew on his Father for grace and love to live the life that he'd been called into. So today we're going to continue with that theme, but look at a different analogy, not vine and the branches, but here we look at this metaphor Jesus gives us of himself as the bread of life. So we'll be talking about bread, food, and we'll be asking the question this time in this way, what are we consuming? What are we feeding on? And and how is that nourishing us? How is that setting us up well to live kingdom life? So to get us in the mood, I just want you to think of the last really good meal you had. Okay, so take a moment. Maybe it was at a restaurant. I just want you to picture that experience of seeing that meal on a plate, the, the colors, and then you know, smelling it, and then cutting into it, and taking it into your mouth, and tasting it, and savoring it, and digesting it, and then feeling your body be satisfied with it. I want you to just have that image in your mind as we talk about that. Because really, this, this passage is, is drawing on these questions of what truly satisfies? And where do we go to satisfy our hungers and our cravings. And I'll just tell you, this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's so rich and beautiful, and we're, we're just going to be scratching the surface today. 
But just to just so you know the context, at the beginning of, of John 6, this, this comes right after Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? So uh, he's up in Galilee, and the crowds are following him, and he ends up in this remote place, and they're all there, and he's teaching them. And of course, there's no food, and the people are getting hungry. And so he takes five loaves of bread and two fish, and he miraculously multiplies that and feeds the entire crowd. Everyone has their fill, is satisfied, and the disciples end up actually gathering 12 basketfuls left over. So he satisfies and more than satisfies. In that in that, that moment has all these echoes of the Exodus story. When, when Israel was out in droves in the wilderness and God provided bread for them, the manna from heaven and satisfied them each day for 40 years. And now here Jesus is with all these crowds out in a remote place providing bread. And the people experience all these echoes and, and they think this must be the prophet that Moses talked about and they actually want to make him king by force. And so what he does is he slips away and that night he crosses to the other side. He just you know takes the direct route of walking across the water. Uh, he slips away from them and then the next day they the crowds go around the, the other side and they find him then on the other side. And so it's out of that experience that then this this conversation ensues. And like I said, so rich, so much we could talk about, but there's there's two things that, two questions I think Jesus is asking the people and asking us in this passage that I wanna focus on. The first is this, what is the true object of our hungers, of our cravings, okay? What is the object of our cravings? And then secondly, what is the nature of true faith? And we'll see that these two things are, are very related. So first, let's talk about this, this conversation about the object of our hungers and cravings. Really interesting to me how Jesus starts this conversation. Look at verse 26. Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So in John's gospel, all of Jesus' miracles are called signs. And I think the idea behind that is, is Jesus does these miracles, but the point of the miracle is always to point beyond the miracle to the significance of the person doing the miracle, which is Jesus, and the significance of who he is. And what you see again and again is so often the crowds love the miracle, but they fail to see the significance, the sign, and actually come to faith in the one who's performing the miracles. And so really, I think Jesus is sort of confronting them in this dialogue, and he's basically saying to them, hey, you, you guys are here because you got your bellies filled, right? I mean, that's why you're here again. Like in today's language, we'd say, you just got your, your felt needs met, and you're back for more of that. And that's really the truth. They're, they just want more bread. They want more miracles. They, they really, they want a king who, who will feed them. They want a king who's going to fix their lives, who's going to change their circumstances, who's going to defeat the Romans, right? And those are all very understandable cravings. Um, but Jesus is trying to see that there's something much deeper about him than, than just those tangible things. And there's these deeper cravings that humans ha have that he's actually come to truly satisfy. And so he goes to talk about these two different kinds of bread that we can crave. Look at verse 27. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He's saying there's these two kinds of bread, and you guys are so caught up in the bread that spoils. You're just caught up in the the you know the 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 day to day, the immediate the, the immediate cravings that you have. But again, there's this diff different kind of bread that is deeper, that is more eternal. That's the thing that you should be hungering for. And then they get into this conversation about the manna in the wilderness and how God you know provided for Israel in the wilderness, and if Jesus would do something similar. 
And in verse 32, we'll skip to verse 32, he says, Very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. (laughs) So Jesus is saying, just as God provided manna back, you know, thousands of years ago, he is providing manna for you guys right now. And they're saying, we we want this manna. And Jesus is like, I am the manna. (laughs) I myself am the bread of life. And, And this is really gets at the heart of the conversation, I think. He's saying that the true bread from heaven is not the bread I gave you guys yesterday. I'm the true bread of heaven. And you guys are just wanting to come to me so I can give you more bread, but I don't want to be the the person you come to to give you the bread that you want. I'm actually the bread you need. Like, I am the bread. I myself am the bread. I'm not here just to satisfy your your other cravings. I actually am here to be the thing, (laughs) to be the one that you crave, and to be the full satisfaction of your deepest cravings. And he's clearly saying, I am the satisfaction of your deepest cravings hungers and cravings, right? Come to me, you'll never go hungry. Come to me, you'll you'll never be thirsty. Keep coming to me and you'll be satisfied. And what's so sad, if you know how this conversation continues, we, we're not reading the whole thing, but what you realize is the crowds in the end, they don't really want him. Not really. They, they just want what they can get out of him. And so I, I think this conversation... Um, confronts us with some important questions like, what is the object of our hungers? What what kind of bread do we crave? And I think there's always this danger in life, to use Jesus' language, that, that we simply crave the bread that spoils, right? That we have these cravings for, really important cravings for security and significance and pleasure and meaning and purpose in life, but that we just seek to fulfill those cravings in the bread that spoils. Just earthly things like food, like drink, but more important earthly things. Like we we seek to satisfy that with through our children or through a marriage or through our career or through you know our reputation. All these things that are understandable through hobbies, whatever it might be. But the danger, of course, is that those become the things we go to to fulfill our cravings. And then Jesus simply becomes a means to trying to get those things, right? That Jesus is there in our lives to to help us get the things we want. Jesus, would you give me, you know, safe and well-behaved moral children? Would you give me this thriving marriage? Would Would you help me so that I could be successful in my work? Would you give me health and a long life? Would you give me favor with these people? That's the danger. The danger is that Jesus becomes our vending machine, God. And I've talked about this over the years many times, but I think it's a good analogy. You know, you, you've got a vending machine. There's this machine and it has these snacks in it, right? And those are the things you want. And so you put some quarters in the machine, right? And out pops the snack you want. And, and that's the danger in our relationship with Jesus, that, that there's these things that are the things we're really going after, whether that's success or wealth or, you know, a healthy marriage or good kids, all, all these things that are not bad, but then Jesus just becomes the machine. You're the thing I go to, right, to give me the things I want. We put in the quarters, whatever that is. We we have our quiet times. We serve. We tithe. Um, you know, whatever it is we might do, hoping 
that Jesus will give the things that we think are going to satisfy us. And Jesus is saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to be the machine that gives you the things that you think will satisfy you. I, I want to be the meal itself. I want to be the one you go to to find satisfaction, fulfillment, and meaning and purpose. And I and, and nothing else can truly give that to you. And at least in this scene, the tragedy is here you have these crowds who have the God of the universe in the person of Jesus Christ available to them to meet their deepest longings. And they're not really interested, right? They, they've already decided what they want. But it, it confronts us with these questions. What do we crave? And how are we pursuing those cravings? And what truly satisfies in life? And with that, then I want to look at the other question that I think this passage raises, that Jesus is raising, is not just about cravings, but what is the nature of true faith? Because this isn't just a conversation about hungers and cravings. It's definitely also a conversation about faith, which we'll see is very related. So again, let's go back over this from the, from the perspective of faith, okay? So in verse 27, Jesus says, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. So he's talking about working for the right kind of food. And so the people understandably respond in verse 28 by saying, okay, so what must we do to do the works? You tell us we have to work for food. So what, what do we have to do to do the works that God requires? That's a really good question. If there's something that God requires of us in this, in this life, there's a kind of work that we need to do, what is it? We don't want to mess that one up. And Jesus' response is so beautiful and would have come so unexpectedly. Verse 29, here's the work of God. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So Jesus says, work for the food. And they say, what's the work? And he says, here's the work, believe in the one he sent. Well, what's that? That's, that's not a work. That's, that's like an anti-work, right? The, the work is actually to believe and trust in the work of somebody else. That's the work that God wants. And it's surprising to them, but this is the consistent theme of the New Testament. What God is longing for is not first and foremost works. What he's longing for is, is faith, is belief, is trust, right? That's what he wants. Romans 4, 4 through 5 says it so perfectly. To the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. This is what God is looking for, not work, but trust. The older I get, the more I read this book, I'm realizing, you know what God loves? God really enjoys being trusted. It seems like that's the thing he loves most. He loves it when his people simply trust him. And if I had like a couple phrases to summarize this entire book, one of my phrases would be this. This whole book is God's way of simply saying, trust me. I, I just want you to trust me from cover to cover. Just trust me. This is the fundamental work. It's an anti-work of trusting in Jesus. So we're getting at the, the essence of the importance of, of faith and belief. But the point I want to make is actually, but what is the nature of true belief? Like what does true belief look like? And what I love is that Jesus combines this conversation about belief with this image of eating bread. Right again, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes, there's that word belief, will never be thirsty. He's saying this, you know what true belief is like? True belief is like consuming bread into your body. True belief is like drinking in refreshing water. 
So I want you to remember that meal that I talked about at the beginning, that the experience of seeing, savoring, taking in, being satisfied by a meal. Jesus is saying, that's what true belief is like. You know what faith is? Faith is feasting on Jesus. Faith is feasting on the gospel. It's experiencing our hunger. It's experiencing our needs, seeing Jesus as the solution to those needs, and then chewing on him, savoring him, treasuring him, delighting on him in the truths of the gospel. Really, that's what biblical faith is. It is it is a feasting and savoring Jesus and the gospel, which is so much more than, than just intellectual assent to an idea, right? It, it, of course, has to include that. But I say that because I think when some people think of biblical belief, they live thinking, if, if I just believe the right things, then I'm saved. And that is not biblical belief. The Bible's really clear about that. The book of James says, says it this way, you believe that there is one God? <laughs> Good for you. Even the demons believe that and shudder, right? Demons have that kind of belief. I mean, when you think about it, demons are more orthodox than a lot of churchgoers. Demons believe that there is one God, that he sent his one and only son to die for the sins of the world, and to give forgiveness that Jesus was training. They, they're orthodox in their belief. The problem is they don't feast on it. <laughs> they don't savor it. They don't enjoy it. In fact, they resent it. They resist it. And so it speaks to what is authentic biblical faith. Authentic biblical faith is, is less like taking a test and getting all the right answers, though it, it includes that, but it's more like sitting down to a good meal, seeing it, savoring it, taking it in, being satisfied. That's why the invitation of Scripture is this, taste and see that the Lord is good. So stepping back from this passage a little bit, that's what this series is all about. How do we taste and see that the Lord is good? How do we feast on Jesus? How do we feast on the gospel regularly? Specifically, what are the rhythms and practices and habits that, that regularly put us at the table of the gospel so that our souls are, are nourished and fed so that we can go out and live kingdom life? And so really this series is, is supposed to be experienced as this wonderful invitation to taste and see. But of course, this series will also confront us with the tough questions, with, which is this, which are these. What are we currently consuming? What are we feeding on? And how's that going? How's that, how is that or how is that not nourishing our souls? Uh, I'm reading this book right now called The Wisdom Pyramid, colon, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World. And uh, the basic idea is the, the author's reminding us of the food pyramid. I want you to see the food pyramid. Remember this food pyramid? This came out in the 90s. This is back when I was in junior high and high school. And there's a ton that's actually really funny about this now because we realized that 30 years of nutritional insight since then, uh, the game has changed in terms of how we would we would think about these things now. Um, but the basic idea is, you know, there are certain things at the bottom of the pyramid that are the things where you need this steady diet of certain healthy foods. And we maybe would change what those are now in 2021. But there are certain things you just need a consistent steady diet of. Other foods are okay in moderation. And then other foods should probably be avoided altogether. And it's such a simple analogy, but such a helpful one for our spiritual lives. You know, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these fe- on these things. And I would add today, feast on these things. And so the book offers instead what, what could be called a, a wisdom pyramid. Where again, we there are certain things that we make sure we have a steady diet of, other things we have in moderation, other things we should pretty much avoid altogether. But where we have this regular intake, consumption of scripture and community and creation and, and true wisdom, and we have very small doses of other things. So again, on the front of this series, it's our observation um, as we look at American Christian culture that, you know, our caloric intake, if I can use that analogy, our caloric intake is really high right now, but I don't think we're getting the right kind of calories, right? Our, our, our minds are saturated with so much information, with news, with social media, with Netflix, with all these inputs, but they're not really nurturing. They're not they're not nutritious. They're not, um, they're not healthy for our souls. They're leaving our souls maybe entertained, filled up with something, but they're leaving our souls anxious and restless and angry and um, distracted. And we're experiencing spiritual malaise, spiritual lethargy, if I can use those kinds of physical words. And nationwide, I'll just say the stats are in. <laughs> there are rising rates of depression, loneliness, anxiety, even suicidal ideation. To quote from the book, our world has more and more information, but less and less wisdom. More data, less clarity. More distraction, less stillness. More amusements, less joy. Our eyes are strained, brains overstimulated, and souls weary. And I was thinking of just one practical example. You know, what if every day, when you woke up, the first thing you did was eat five Jolly Ranchers and an Abba Zabba, which I love. But imagine how that would set you up for the rest of your day. But so often that's what we do spiritually. We wake up and the first thing we do is we go to this device and we just take in some spiritual junk food as a way to start our day. Just a simple analogy. Okay, so all that to say that the invitation of this series is going to be this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Feed on Jesus and feed on gospel truths. These substantive foods that will sustain and feed our souls and allow us to live kingdom life. So I want to leave you with an assignment this week. And I really want you to actually take on this assignment. And it's simply this. Live this week in full awareness of what you're consuming. And maybe you want to, at the end of the day, go back over your day and even keep a log. Uh, If you want to look at your phone consumption, many phones have ways that you can actually see how you use your phone that day. And for accountability, maybe you need like someone to do this with. Say, hey, let's do this together. At the end of the day, we'll report back, okay? But I just live this week in total awareness of what you are consuming. And really, the week is not about change. It's not about changing anything. It's about just being aware. And I wouldn't, even as you experience that, don't even think of it in terms of morality, in terms of right and wrong. But I would encourage you to think in terms of questions like, like these. Which things that I consume are are stirring my affection for Jesus? Which things dull my affection for him? What things numb my affection for him? Which which things leave my soul truly refreshed and grateful? And which things leave my soul anxious 
and numb and distracted and angry. And just live in the awareness of that. And then we can bring that to Jesus next week. Because in the end, the battle for the kingdom is not just a battle about morality, about right or wrong, though it's that. But it, it, is, it is also a battle for our cravings. It's a battle for what do we love? What do we hunger for? What do we thirst for? And where do we go for satisfaction? So I leave you with the words of Jesus. Don't work for the bread that spoils. Work for the bread that endures to eternal life. hear the Savior say, your strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me your all and Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb.
Well, as always, we hope that you've been encouraged uh, by this morning's time, and we invite you now to consider the reflection questions that we'll put on the screen. And let me leave you with this great benediction. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word and deed. Amen.